You're listening to Design Tomorrow. The last thing we need are smartphones. I had long since tuned out the radio and was gazing ahead, waiting for the brake lights ahead of me to disappear, waiting to lurch forward to the next traffic light on my daily stop and go, waiting to get home where, of course, I'd get no further than the driveway before pulling out my phone and thumbing through every alert which had kept it in a permanent state of vibration since I'd left the office. I had no idea what the speaker meant, what it was exactly that she thought we needed more than smartphones. The larger conversation probably had little to do with smartphones specifically, but she'd spoken with the weary sarcasm of someone half-heartedly tossing a tiny truth into a sea of absurdity. And that, of course, is a mood familiar to yours truly. So I turned the radio off, and I let her words echo in my mind. The last thing we need are smartphones. You're damn right. And when I say smartphones, what I really mean is the digital culture that serves as the backdrop to smartphones, the crazy awes into which our little farmhouses hurdle when we wake up our screens and stare into them. What are we doing? I mean, really. When did we start believing that the greatest problem humanity had left to solve was filling every gap in attention that remains in waking life? The space between now and our next opportunity to consume information is, of course, already gone. If it wasn't, no one would ever feel behind. Everyone would be at inbox zero. There'd be no such thing as information overload. No need to declare email bankruptcy. No guilt over the accumulating two reads. No FOMO. But there's all of that in abundance. Which means good news. We've solved the attention problem, haven't we? We're full. And yet... We're still going after every slice of unattended mental space that could possibly exist in our overtaxed brains. Having conquered boredom and the reluctantly idle moment, we have nothing left but to steal the chosen bits of quiet. The intentional ones. Forget the moments at bus stops, standing in line and sitting in waiting rooms. That is officially screen time now. The mission has turned towards changing the minds and hearts of those who are looking for less, not more. Those who silence alerts, uninstall apps, set their devices aside for walks in the woods and shut them down and stow them in drawers in the evening to get a good night's sleep. The right app, after all, could get all that attention back. Should get it back. Investors are waiting for you to bring those digital prodigals home. They're throwing money at the most seasoned attention snipers in the field, the ones who always make their mark. Designers, surely there's another way. Another way to spend our time, another way to apply our ingenuity, another way even to generate wealth. Because this way, this market of attention derivatives, this Ponzi scheme, is nothing more than a culture-wide addiction. We steal moments from one another only to repackage and resell them because we are addicted to the thrill of the new. Because like every addict, we prefer instant gratification over anything that takes patience, and so the fast and the cheap 
is what we trade. But there is a dealer, you know, and a smart dealer doesn't mess with the merchandise. So we need to stop being used in this way. Those investors, those hungry boards of governance pushing us for exponential profit leaps year after year, they don't care what we're addicted to, so long as we're addicted. And so today, I want to stage an intervention, a challenge to the status quo of waste and distraction and triviality and short-term pile-on that is our way of life here in 2019. You're listening to Design Tomorrow. I'm Chris Butler, and I'm fired up, so stay tuned. Design Tomorrow is a podcast about design, technology, and being human which, admittedly, is a lot to be about. But in all things, we hope to grow in our awareness that what we do and think today can create a better tomorrow. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Design Tomorrow. Just leave all the vowels out. That's at D-S-G-N-T-M-R-R-W. You can also visit the show's website at designtomorrow.co. And if you want to get in touch directly, you can email me at chris at designtomorrow.co. I'd love to hear from you. And now, let's get back to the show. Designers, engineers, all you makers out there, what are we really working for? Progress? Well, that sounds nice. But what does it mean? What are we trying to do here in our time on this spinning rock, this spaceship Earth? Are we trying to leave a mark? Are we trying to be heard? How do we expect anyone to see what we do or hear what we say when the noise we create so easily? drowns it all out. Making space for our contributions, at the very least, is one way to value silence. But it also raises the question of whether our contribution should be additive or subtractive, doesn't it? And surely silence has more value than in just making space to fill. It has inherent value. Absence and nothing are just as worthy pursuits as presence and something just as necessary to life, and yes, to progress. So we need silence. We need emptiness. And we need patience to be able to stand it. And in this churning cycle of cause and effect, every captured moment of attention rips the guts out of patience. When the interval between events of any kind shrinks down to nothing, then even the briefest moment of waiting for something to happen seems intolerable. Agony. This, as you've no doubt already heard, makes for quite the punchline. 
Like years ago, when Louis C.K. mocked our impatience with a slowly loading screen by shouting, Give it a second! Give, it's going to space! Can you give it a second to get back from space? But who hasn't been that spoiled idiot that can't give it a second? It stings because it's true. Of all of us. How have we come to the place where it's acceptable to maintain a constant indignance toward even the slightest friction when it comes to accessing information? When a website isn't responsive, we scoff. Why? Because now I might have to use my fingers to pinch and zoom a web page? And honestly, is it not impressive we can do that? Or <gasps> wait a few minutes before I can get back to my laptop and look at it there? What an outrage! And really, what if a few minutes is longer than average? Seriously, I'd like to know. I'd like to know what the average space in time or in distance between devices is for the average American. I'd bet it's almost nothing. Which is kind of terrifying, if you ask me. Meanwhile, we completely take this for granted. How portable information really is, and how seamless our experience of it can be. That we can be pretty much anywhere and still look at a webpage, or read a book, or listen to music, or tune into the radio, or watch television, or a movie, all on a screen we hold in our hands. That we hardly have to wait for anything. That we can do any of these things on a laptop, or a tablet, or a phone, or just a screen on a wall. That we can start watching a video on a tablet in our living room, switch over to a phone and take it with us to the bathroom, and then throw it back up on the TV a little later. That's what we do now. We're busy all day exhausting ourselves by beaming stuff all over the place. It's insane how ubiquitous entertainment can be. But still, we're not satisfied. We're the Augustus Gloops of digital candy. Augustus Sweetheart, save some room for later. Don't just stand there, do something. Help, police, murder. And there's still a holy grail to be had, the killer app. The latest and greatest in hardware, some new thing that's going to make everything even more seamless and everything before it seem like rubbing two sticks together. Are we not going to be satisfied until every surface is a window to entertainment? Until every place we go looks the same because we've projected onto it our own personal digital reality? If that's what we're after, we might as well just stay home, don't you think? But here's the really troubling thing. Beneath it all is another holy grail, one we plebes need not seek out. It's already claimed by the 1%. What is it? It's the vast, untold riches of our monetized attention. Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. There's no such thing. It's a house of cards. How many billions of people are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, or whatever, giving away their words and their pictures and their time, and yet the smartest minds of our generation still haven't figured out how to turn it all into enough cash to satisfy the investors. Facebook makes money today, but is it enough? Apparently not. They have to drop billions of dollars to buy someone else's list of names simply because there are a whole bunch of people out there that they can now claim might be the board's golden ticket. Jeez, I don't know, folks. I think maybe we can call it. We go to Facebook to be with one another. Facebook says, hey, 
we've got all these people. We'll sell them to advertisers. Advertisers say, great, maybe they'll buy some stuff. The investors say, great, but we're not going to cash out until we monetize everything. As in, not just actual attention, but the promise of future fictional vaporous attention, as my friend Dan Hahn so aptly put it once in his newsletter. Well, don't hold your breath. And you know what? They're not holding their breath. Because while they have us all in a sad cat gif and listicle holding pattern, they're making all kinds of stuff in their workshops to keep us wired when we finally get sick of sitting on our butts in front of screens. You know, like more screens, new categories of screens, kitchen screens, small living room screens, face screens. But ask yourself, what problem does any new screen solve? No problem that you or I have. The problem these toys solve belongs to the companies making them, which is how to capture even more attention. When a company's product development no longer addresses meaningful needs, it can do one of two things. Number one, it can create new kinds of products that address needs in new markets. Or number two, it can create luxury products. Where would you honestly put any of the new products that the big tech companies have made in the last decade? If you're still not ready to say the word luxury, let me provoke you with another thought. Do you see billions of dollars of investment being put towards building a better diamond? No. Luxury is tied to scarcity, and large-scale investment is better put towards things that can be mass-adopted. If the only meaningful distinctions between the Apple watch line, which are material, not functional, hasn't tipped you off, this stuff is all about luxury. And yet they're doing an amazing job making us believe otherwise. We don't need a new watch, or a new phone, or a new tablet, or a new screen, even if it's one we can wear or fold. We don't need most of what Silicon Valley makes. And really, we haven't earned any of it either. We're decorating the ceiling of Maslow's pyramid while the floor rots beneath us. Because while we pour our best thought and every tangible resource towards our toys, our needs, the collective basic needs of this planet, grow. Let's just start at the top and work our way down for just a moment. We don't need self-driving cars, for example. What we really need are safer and more efficient forms of transportation. And that's likely to come in a blended form. One part self-driving car, one part mass transportation, one part bicycle, and one part good old-fashioned walking. And to get all that, we need better urban planning. And to get to that, we need better resource management. And to get to that, we need better governance. Which means better representation, which means better journalism, which means better education, which means social equity. You know what all that is? It's the design community's bucket list. Actually, just one sub-list of a sub-list of the bucket list. The family tree of one supposed need that Silicon Valley is foisting upon us. Because we're drooling over folding screens, and meanwhile, Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water. We need to get busy on this stuff, folks, pronto. The big stuff. How scary is it, and I mean that sincerely, how utterly terrifying that we're wasting our time making another way to text each other instead. It's time we turned our attention to the real problems of this world. What about energy? It's pretty clear we haven't figured that one out. There will never be enough wind turbines or solar panels to stop us from burning stuff to keep our screens on. 
so we might want to give that one a look. We might want to think about the weight and cost of every bit we generate and circulate over the internet. What about food? Our country is the richest place on earth, and it's a mess in the food category. We waste most of our calorie production feeding livestock and automobiles. Meanwhile, we've got so much to eat that we're getting fat and throwing out the leftovers. And yet, there are still people among us who starve. How can this be? It's absurd. What about water? We waste so much of it trying to sustain suburbs in the desert. And meanwhile, our richest citizen goes and builds a machine that will let poverty-stricken Africans drink their own sewer water. Good for them, I guess. But don't you think we could have done better than that if we hadn't already decided that we needed fountains and swimming pools and long hot showers in every corner of our country? And why isn't our country's richest man building hundreds of those machines and donating them to Flint, Michigan? What about sustainable materials? Or have we not buried enough trash and sent enough plastic to the center of the Pacific Ocean yet? Have not enough rich people had the carcass of a dolphin strangled by plastic packaging wash up at their feet while sunbathing for this to be a problem that anyone cares to throw some cash at? Good Lord, there are problems to solve. But we're living in the cloud. <laughs> Look, I could continue on with this rant. I've barely scratched the surface. But I do have a point. And it's this. If we designers think that there's no place for us at the Saving the World table, we're wrong. A bunch of years ago, a kid in high school came up with an algae that eats plastic bags for his science fair project. What happened to him? I actually have no idea. But why there isn't a bag-eating algae pool at every municipal waste center will have to remain one of life's big mysteries, won't it? Did big plastic silence this kid? Again, I don't know. More likely, they funded his college and bought his future and will never hear from him again. But amazing that our world even produced a kid like that. The truly sad thing is that we're locked in to this kind of stuff. Our economy rewards it. Myopia is the going currency. You see, meaningful progress would create poverty in the short term. Self-driving cars, for example, will put all kinds of people out of work. 3D printers, same thing. Modular smartphones, yeah, it's a great idea, but if I can uplift my own phone's battery, its camera, its storage or processor, how the heck are they going to sell me a new one every year? And if I don't buy a new phone, how will the people selling cords and cases and speakers put food on their tables? What if we decided to make better clothing, stuff that actually lasts and doesn't rely upon slave labor to be cheap? Well, we buy fewer clothes. A good thing. But the industry would shrink. People would lose jobs. Same thing in virtually every consumer market. Our whole system relies upon throwaways. We're all about quantity, which doesn't just drive quality down figuratively. It actually reduces lasting value. If we don't keep this do-nothing machine running faster and faster and cheaper and cheaper, there's no more growth. And we can't have that, can we? Look, you've heard this rant before. It's the sort of thing we sarcastically shorthand as first world problems. But you know what? There are no first world problems. There's only one world, and there are problems. What are we going to do about them? What's one small thing you could do today? I want to hear about it. 
Maybe it's as simple as not buying that new thing you've had your eye on. Or maybe it's uninstalling that app that you've been wasting time on, that app that makes you feel bad about yourself. Maybe it's majoring in math and not marketing. Maybe it's finally starting that compost pile. I don't know. It doesn't have to be big. But let it be something. Something you can feel good about because you know that it invests in the future rather than making constant withdrawals from it to pay for the now. And if you need some encouragement in taking the leap, let me know, and I'll be there for you. It'll be just between us. Well, friends, that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed this little episode of Design Tomorrow. If you did, find the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and give it a rating and a review. And look, I realize that everything I've said today might actually feel hypocritical in light of me hoping you'll listen to this show and keep listening and tell others to listen too. But it's not. Because if this show crowds your mind too much, if it asks too much of you or takes too much of your attention or keeps you from recalibrating your life in some way, however tiny, then please, by all means, free yourself from its bondage. You don't have to listen. I'll be okay. But for however long I have your ear, know that I am grateful. And that my only purpose is to push you, however gently, not just towards a better future, but toward creating one yourself. And as I said a moment ago, I do want to hear about what you're doing or not doing toward that future. You can email me anytime at chris at designtomorrow.co or you can tweet me at Design Tomorrow. That's at D-S-G-N-T-M-R-R-W. I'd love to hear from you. Until then, thanks for listening. And remember, what we do and think today not only can create a better tomorrow, but should. I'll see you then.